Uh, I'm going to open up in prayer, but uh, as I do so, you can be making your way over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be starting in the 14th verse in a moment. That's 2 Corinthians 2.14. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I'm so thankful to you. I'm so grateful for all that you've done in us and for us. I thank you, Jesus, that Lord, you bear scars on your hands and in your body for all of eternity for us. Jesus, I pray that you would just continuously make that reality so known to us that we might understand the depth of your love and affection for us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus. We're not your slaves. We're your family. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life, who is sufficient for these things. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 14, let's just read it one more time. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love it. And part of why I love it so much is if there is any verse that exemplifies just how important our role is in God's plan in this earth, this is it. If there's a, a, a verse that exemplifies how much God has desired to place us as part of the plan of salvation for the world. You know, he, He's instituted us or... or uh, involved us in that plan in such a tremendous way. This is it, this verse right here. Thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Such a powerful verse. So I want to break it down and I want to look at it because, uh, you know, just to look at it in greater detail, okay? So this word first here, looking at the word triumph. So uh, when I would read this verse and I would uh, go through it, I would think God causes us to have victory everywhere we go. Because that's what a triumph is, right? We think of triumph, we think of winning a victory. But actually, triumph has two meanings. Because triumph can be a verb, or triumph can be a noun. And in fact, in the Bible, the word triumph, most, most often what it's talking about, it's talking about the noun, which is uh, a triumph or celebrating a victory. After the fact, okay? So if it's the verb, it's winning a victory over something or over someone. But when it's the noun, it's talking about a celebration of or existing in a triumph, okay? So really what this is talking about, it's not talking about God sending us somewhere and we have victory in it, or we're winning a victory over something when we get there, but it's rather we're coming in victory. We're coming having uh, already obtained the triumph. And the picture that goes along with that word is a picture that, that um, reveals kind of like a Roman general returning to Rome. And there's, a, there's a, a procession coming into Rome, a celebratory parade, a triumphant parade. And people are in the streets acclaiming the general because he has won a great victory over a foe. That's the, the, the picture and the image that this word triumph gives. And maybe, you know, if we want to bring it into today's thinking or the, today's example might be uh, the NFL. They play this special game every February, I think, called the Super Bowl, right? And two teams pitted one against the other, and one of them is going to win. And I think this year uh, it was the Rams over the Bengals. Am I right? I kind of looked it up, but then I forgot. So if I'm wrong, okay. But the Rams over the Bengals, they, they won. But they won on February 13th, right? Their triumph was on February 16th because they had a celebratory parade throughout the streets of Los Angeles. And here you have these players 
they're on a float or something and you know people are lining the streets and they're cheering and they're celebrating their victory, their triumph is them going throughout the streets celebrating a victory that happened three days prior. You following me? Okay. So God causes us to triumph. It's not He causes us to win a victory per se when we get somewhere, but rather we're walking into a place in the victory that's already been won for us. Jesus has already won the victory and we're coming into a place with that victory. We're conquerors. We're more than conquerors, right? Romans 8, verse 37. We're coming in. Uh, and, and here's the amazing thing. You know, if I happen to be uh, in the city of Los Angeles on February 16th when the Rams were celebrating their, their win, I would have been on the street watching. I would not have been in the parade, right? That would have been ridiculous. Skinny little me in the midst of all these giant men. Yeah, look what I did. I'm a victor. Ooh. It wouldn't have been like that, right? I would have been, yay, you guys are awesome. But when we are triumphing, when we're caused to triumph, it's we live that victory as though we won it ourselves. We are triumphant coming into wherever God is sending us in the victory that Jesus has already won. It's an amazing thing. And, and part of what, and I was asking the Lord, how can I explain this in, to the extent that you're revealing it to me? And one of the things the Lord said to me is, we don't, to cause us to triumph, the issue is that we don't realize just how righteous He has made us. We don't understand, we don't live in the reality of the righteousness that He has made us to be. That's the triumph, to be righteous. You know, we could skip over just one page to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it says that we've been made a new creature. The old has passed away. You know, in so many ways, intellectually and academically, we can accept that and we can even declare that. But what is in abundance in our hearts? Are we living that? Is that the treasure that's in our hearts that is motivating our behavior that we would know that God has caused us to triumph when we go somewhere. And that triumph is walking in the victory that's already been won for us. Amen? God sends us into the midst of every situation, every place we go, whether it's work or school or uh, social uh, events or whatever it is, uh, and we are the, you know, the blood-bought righteous representatives of His kingdom. That's triumph. That's how we enter into this place. Amen? Hallelujah. So, continuing on, causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. And that word, maketh manifest, really it's talking about uh, to, to expose, to make visible, to take something that is his, hidden and an, an unknown, make it very, very well known. Bring it up to the surface, okay? Uh, and it can be manifested either by words or deeds or any other way God sees fit, Okay? And it's really talking about becoming known to be plainly recognized and thoroughly understood. So he causes us to triumph and he causes us to become well known to those around us. Okay? And what he's doing and what he's making known by us is the savor of the knowledge of Christ. That word savor uh, is the word osme or osme and really talks about a smell or an odor. But it's not just uh, a smell or an odor like you kind of smell a passing faint something. It's an odor or a smell that evokes something from you. Okay, another place in the Bible where the word uh, osme is used is when uh, Mary, ba- um, she put the perfume on Jesus' feet. Uh, I think it's John twelve three. I think it says that the odor filled the house. okay. It filled the house to the extent that everyone could smell it. It was overwhelming and it evoked something from them. Okay? And it's interesting because it evoked something from Judas and from some of the other disciples that was contrary than what it should have been. It evoked something from them where it was greed, it evoked something from them, anger or, or whatnot, like this is wasteful, why is she doing this? And that's the thing about the odor is that it invokes or evokes an emotional response, an intellectual response, and provokes something in the person who's smelling the odor. So God causes us to triumph everywhere we go, and he causes us to manifest to the, the very, very um, odor or the, the savor of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere we go. <coughs> 
excuse me, God is making known through us the savor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that savor, what's interesting about that savor, that word odor, is that it can be either a good odor or a bad odor. Okay? So uh, a bad odor could be an odor like coming from a corpse. Uh, just in doing a little bit of research, and uh, we actually watched a show the other day where somebody had died, and because uh, we watch police serials, and it was an older woman had died, and the landlord said, I didn't know she, was, she had died until the smell. And so she might have been dead for several weeks before they found that person. So that provoked me to just kind of look online a little bit. When somebody dies in their home and they're not discovered for weeks or months, that odor is awful. It's to the extent that a lot of people, they, they lose their biscuits over the odor. And the problem with the odor is that it's so powerful, you can't get rid of it easily. You can't just open the windows, put some fans, spray the air fresh, and that isn't going to cut it. In fact, a lot of times the remediation is extremely expensive because they sometimes have to tear out, not just down to the studs, they have to rip out the studs themselves sometimes depending on how long it's been there and how much of the yuck has oozed out of the body. And so, sorry. <laughs> I'm painting a picture, and the picture is that the odor can be so vile. Like, even, even just describing it, you're like, oh, man, gross, eh? Right? It's making manifest an odor, and it's provoking a response, okay? Or the odor can be a really pleasant smell, okay? Um, sometimes... I'll smell Jamie's perfume, and it's like, woo! You know, something warm and fuzzy on the inside. All you husbands, I know you know what I'm talking about. And let's say some other lady could be wearing the perfume at Kroger. I'm not interested in that lady, but it provokes in me thinking about Jamie, okay? And Jamie likes Calvin Klein Eternity, among some other ones. But that smell, it's associated, and it's indelibly, you know, uh, uh, written in my brain, this is Jamie. Amen? So it provokes something pleasant. And so this odor, this fragrance, it's a, it's a fragrance that cannot be missed. Nobody's like, unless, you know, their olfactory senses are destroyed, you know, they have no nose and, and whatnot, they can't miss it. So I want to give you a good example of a good and then an, another example of a bad. So uh, in 1965, uh, two guys named uh, Fred DeLuca and Peter Buck, they started a restaurant called Subway. Right? We've all been to a Subway restaurant, eating, eating their subs and so forth. And at first they had just a couple stores they, that they had open. They were local. And what would happen is Fred DeLuca would go to a bakery every morning really early and pick up all the subs for all the different restaurants and he would deliver the buns to all the different restaurants. But you know, as more and more franchises opened, they began to realize this is not going to work. We've got to find another solution. And at one point there was a franchise that wanted to open that was pretty far and they thought we've got to find a new solution to this. And so at first they thought what they would do is they would basically, you know, uh, contract with different bakeries in the different cities to supply the bread to each group of restaurants. But the problem they found was, you know, maybe they had good bakeries here, but no good bakeries there. And they wanted, just like every other franchise chain, they want consistency. So that if you walk into uh, a Subway restaurant here in Kettering, or you go across the nation to California and go into a Subway restaurant there, you're eating the same sub. It tastes the same to you. So the young guy, Peter, he came up with a solution. Let's bake our bread in-house. Genius, right? That way we can control the ingredients, we can control how the bread is produced, everybody's going to have the same bread. But he said it's going to have a secondary effect. Who doesn't love the smell of fresh baked bread? It's, it's, you can't miss that smell. You could be walking outside the restaurant and you're like, oh man, maybe I want a sub. And the thing is that fragrance, that scent, he said, won't just invoke you know, hunger pangs and, and cause their stomach to say, hey, I want some of that. It's also going to remind them of good memories going to grandma's house for Sunday dinner. When you walk into grandma's house and you smell fresh baked bread, right? When I worked for FedEx, at one time they sent me uh, to work and deliver in an area, in a region of Toronto that I had never been to. And uh, at one point I got out of my truck to make a deliver, uh, deliver a parcel and I thought, what is that smell? It's heaven on earth. All I could smell was cookies. And for like, you know, like a three or four mile radius, it's like overwhelming cookies. 
And I took out my phone and I'm searching to find out what is this? And it turns out there was a cookie factory. You know, I found the cookie factory and they had an outlet store. Do you remember I had these big bags of broken cookies? <laughs> they, I couldn't help myself. Five bucks for a giant bag of broken cookies. Woo! <laughs> Anyways, I bought two bags. <laughs> but the thing is, the smell, the fragrance, it couldn't be helped. Okay? I had to go find it. It enticed me. The fragrance, the fragrance, right? What does it say? It says, maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge. It's more than just a smell, right, that you like. It's something that provokes something from you. Well, it can be a bad odor too. And several years ago, Jamie's parents lived in a rural part of Ontario. And uh, within several miles of their house was a turkey factory farm. Oh, you already know where I'm going. And every day, and I don't know if it was 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., but every day at a certain time, I, we don't know what they did. Did they just vent the factory? Did they spew the turkey poop somewhere onto the field? We don't know. All we know is the smell was bad. If, like, it smelled like a mixture of turkey feces and vomit. It was so bad. I, even like, oh my goodness, yeah. When I was talking about cookies, you're like, yeah. When I talk about this, you're like, oh. Why? Because it's the fragrance, okay? It's provoking something, amen? Just the, just, the, <laughs> just the thought of vomit feces makes your head go, wow. Don't even say such things. God causes us to triumph wherever he sends us. He's sending us in the glory of his righteousness, the righteousness that he's given to us, we're not just, you know, uh, celebrating on the, on the side of the street his victory, his triumph, but we're in the triumph. We're it. Amen? And what's happening is he's causing to make manifest, make plainly known the savor of the knowledge of Christ, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ by us and through us everywhere we go. It's awesome. You know, even think about the message Pastor Jim was bringing this morning that we're called to be a prophet and a watchman. That's, you know, on the one hand, it feels like it's intimidating. But guess what? We read this and we realize and we understand that God is saying, I have equipped you with a fragrance to make it easy. Moses said, I, I can't go deal with this problem with Pharaoh. I can't even speak. Guess what? We don't have any excuse. We carry about in us the triumph the glory of the righteousness of Christ in us and the fragrance of Jesus himself, the savor of his knowledge. Amen? Hallelujah. So we understand the, the concept that we're supposed to be the light to the world, right? But do we fully, truly understand that there's a supernatural thing that's at work in our lives when we're around non-believing and even believing people, if we're going to be the prophet and the watchman, where there is a fragrance that's emanating from us that's impacting the people around us. We don't even always realize it. Um, hallelujah. It's a supernatural thing that God is causing to happen through us, right? He is causing to make plainly known by an unmistakable fragrance the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. Verse 15 and 16, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? The sweet fragrance of Christ, okay, has a different effect on different people. And what Paul is saying here is that for some people it's a sweet savor, and for others it's a savor of death. And we understand that they, we were even just talking about this just a few moments ago, that the savor of death, the fragrance of death, and again, this is not just a smell. This is an overwhelming smell that you can't, Deny. You can't miss it. It's an overwhelming smell, either good or bad. Death being the, 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 the decomposition of the body and yuck that is provoked, or even the, the good from the ointment that was put on Jesus' feet, the perfume, or you know the smell of fresh baked cookies in a house, whatever it may be, there's two effects. So to the first, to the one is the fragrance of life producing life. It's a good scent. And so really what it's talking about is to those people that we are around, the fragrance of Christ to them, if they are humble, if they are desiring, if there's something in them that's seeking 
Christ, even in, in a way that they don't quite understand, if there's something in them that's even somewhat bent towards Christ, the fragrance that is upon us is going to be pleasant to them. And it's going to, going to attract them to us. Okay? People are going to say things like, there's something different about you. Uh, people are going to say, I want what you have. In John 4, verse 35, Jesus said that the fields are white unto harvest. What is he talking about? Is that there are people out there who all they're waiting for is they're waiting for Christ to be revealed to them. They're ready to be, ready to be harvested into the kingdom. To these people, we're a pleasant fragrance. And just by being who we are in Christ, just by going there, God is making manifest through us the fragrance of Jesus. And it's impacting them in a powerful way and it's drawing them to us like me to cookies. Hallelujah. And it's a knowledge of Christ, which is life to them, right? It's a very pleasant thing. I remember um, when I worked for the government, there would be people who would seek me out. Everyone knew I was a Christian because I made no secret of it. Everyone knew that at one point or another I'd be leaving because I, I told them, like, I'm leaving at some point. I'm going to go into full-time ministry. And uh, so people knew, but it was more than that and that and, and I, I don't want to, there's no patting me on the back. I recognize that even if there was a righteous walk that I was living by, there was a fragrance of Christ emanating from me that attracted certain people. And invariably it happened over and over again where people would find themselves in situations of crisis, whatever it may be, and they would come find me. People, I may not even know more about them than their first name, you know, because there's hundreds of people in the office. I don't know them all. I don't interact with them all. With them all. But they'd come and find me and they'd say, I, I need you to pray. I heard you're a person who prays. There's one person in particular who can't, I'm thinking of it right now. Uh, my granddaughter is ill and we don't know what's going on. And I know that if you pray, something will change. That's the fragrance of Christ. Hallelujah, it attracts them. And it's amazing because I did eventually give my two weeks notice and I was leaving and you know my manager announced it to the office and they will be leaving, this will be his last day. And so for two weeks, a stream of people just kept coming into my cubicle to say, hey, I, you know, I didn't work with you a whole lot, but you know, you really impacted me while you were here. And I was like, wow, I didn't expect it. All these people coming in to see me. And I recognized really what they were doing is they were responding to the fragrance of Christ. Amen. Of course, the flip side is the fragrance of death, which produces death. And this is in people who have hardened their hearts. They are not white unto harvest. And we know that. We know that there are people who, their hearts are so hardened towards the gospel and hardened towards Christ that the very name Jesus is offensive to them. Right? They do everything they can to strike his name from any government building, strike anything that pertains to him from any kind of uh, government documentation, uh, any kind of holiday or celebration. You know, even in, in Kettering, they don't celebrate Easter, right, at the schools, they don't, because they don't want to discriminate against other religions. Wait a minute, this is a Christian nation. Of course we should be celebrating Easter, but they don't. Why? Because there's a group of people, their hearts are hardened towards Jesus, and the name Jesus is odious to them. It is a fragrance to them that is like death. It's disgusting to them. And what's amazing is, you know, uh, in Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about Pharaoh, right? He says that Pharaoh, in fact, let's just flip over there real quick. Romans 9, uh, verse 17 and 18. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will harden, he hardeneth. And whom he will, he hardeneth. So a lot of people think that what Paul is talking about is that God hardened Pharaoh for a set time for a purpose. But that's not what, that, what Paul is talking about. If we leave it in context, Paul is actually talking about Israel, and he's using Pharaoh as an example for us to understand the children of Israel and why they didn't receive Jesus. He's talking about the fact that when God... When Pharaoh came to God, or God came to Pharaoh through Moses, the effect that it had on, Mo on Pharaoh is that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh did. That's the effect God had on Pharaoh. And we see this at work in the world today. In John chapter 3, and you can turn there with me. We'll go to verse uh, 16. We'll start in verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, but that the world through him might be saved. Another way we could say it is God did not send his Son into the world to harden the world. He that believeth on him, on Jesus, is not condemned, but that he, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, verse 19, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And really all that's talking about is, if you love the light, you're going to run to the light because you want to make sure that your deeds are holy and pure. Because you, because you love the light, you're willing to change your deeds. The light reveals, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You say, okay, I'm not going to do it because I love the light. But those who love darkness, they say, I don't want any part of it. In fact, I'm going to attack the light. And what we see, what Paul is saying is, this fragrance of Christ has an effect on those people where what they smell is an odious, horrendous, uh, off-putting, offensive smell, a smell like that of death and decay. And it hardens them to the gospel. That's what happens to them. Death is a foul odor. And this is the incredible thing is, when they smell this foul odor, they blame it on Jesus. They think that Jesus and those who bear the odor, the fragrance of Jesus, Christians, they blame us. They think that we're the foulness when in reality all they're smelling is themselves. I remember in, in ninth grade, Frank LaRue, Francois LaRue, that's how we said his name in French. But Frank, uh, one day in the hallway, he said, do you guys smell that? And we're like, no, we don't smell that. What do you smell? I smell like... I smell like I stepped in dog poop, but I can't find it. Like it's not on my shoes. So he's, you know, checking his shoes. It's not, did you smell it? No, we don't smell it. He kept smelling it. Well, it turned out that his gym shoes, which were in his locker, he had stepped in dog poop. He was smelling the poop on his own shoes, but he didn't know it. That's the way it is for people who, who smell death on us. They think it's us, but it's really them. Amen? So, have you ever experienced people hating you just because? And you, I didn't do anything to you. I barely interact with you. I mean, you hate me. You know, all I've ever done was hold the door for you at the store or at the, you know, at the office or something, and you hate me. What's going on? I know, I know a few years ago, Michaela seemed to be experiencing this a lot with different people where people were uh, attacking her verbally sometimes or just mistreating her. And really what it was was it was darkness hating the light. Because Michaela wouldn't do the things that they did. Michaela would not participate in the things that they, that they participated in. Even this morning, Pastor Jim went to John chapter 15, verse 18, where Jesus was saying, if they hated me, they'll hate you. That's them responding to the fragrance of Christ on us. God is making that fragrance manifest through us. It's not even something that we try to do. It happens. If we're walking with Jesus, this is what comes forth. It's emanating from us. And it provokes in them a hatred for Christ and a hatred for us. I think the vast majority of the time, they don't even know why they hate us. They just do. Right? And I've seen an amazing thing in the body of Christ where somebody who knows the truth, who knows the Word of God, hearing it week in and week out, week in and week out, but because of something in their heart, whether it's a, a bitterness or resentment or an unforgiveness or an anger or something that they're holding on to, they become increasingly separated from Christ to the extent where all of a sudden they hate Jesus and they hate the body of Christ. And they're in the midst of us and, they, and then all of a sudden, just being in church is being around like the odor of death for them. They can't stand it. they got to get out of here. And it's amazing to see this process happen in somebody's life right before your eyes. And the, and the result is they become an enemy of the cross and an enemy of those who name the name of Jesus. That's Pharaoh. You know, one of the incredible things about Pharaoh is Pharaoh thought he was a god, right? And that's why he hardened his heart against God because he thought, I'm a god. Who am I, why am I going to let you, my equal, tell me anything? Well, guess what, Pharaoh? You're not God's equal. And I don't know if he ever learned that lesson. Hallelujah. Verse 17. Let's go back there. 
2 Corinthians 2.17. Well, verse 16, Paul says, Who is sufficient for these things? Verse 17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Just reading it in the Amplified, For we are not like so many, like hucksters making trade of or peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating the divine message, but like men of sincerity and of the purest motive, as commissioned and sent by God, we speak his message in Christ in the very sight and presence of God. So Paul is saying two things. One, he's saying, we're not like other people. What we have done is we have delivered the message as though God is right here. So let's say I was going to tell you a lie about Barry. Do you think I would tell you that lie with him right there? (laughs) Barry stole my wallet. I watched him do it. And he's standing right there. I did not. So that's kind of like what it is. you know. What Paul is saying, look, what we declared to you, God was right there. We, what we declared unto you was with fear and trembling, knowing that the God that we serve is in our very presence. And we would not dare to share or declare anything about Jesus that wasn't the truth. We would not, and he declares it here, he says, we're not as so many who corrupted the word of God. And we know that people had, you know, and he details this over and over again throughout the different letters and epistles where there were people who corrupted the word of God and they had different reasons for doing it. You know, some of them, it's, ultimately it's for gain of some sort, it could be material gain because they wanted wealth, and we know that. We, we have seen this in the last 40, 50, 60 years in the body of Christ where people have corrupted the Word of God to line their pockets. They've become rich and wealthy because of the gospel, which is wrong. Uh, sometimes it's for power, right? Because, because people lust for power, or, per, or perhaps it's for position, perhaps it's for you know, their own ego, uh, or perhaps personal glory and fame. Or, and sometimes they corrupt the Word of God to hold on to what they have. You know, you, you, you've been serving in a church for so long and you get a revelation about praying in tongues and you want to go declare you know, the Word of God as it pertains to speaking in tongues. But then the leadership of the church says, if you teach this, you're fired. Oh, I'm not going to teach it anymore. That's corrupting the Word of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Paul is saying, we brought to you an uncorrupted, uncorrupted Word of God. Here's the thing. Let's go, well, I'll read it to you. Ecclesiastes 10.1. You don't often get to quote Ecclesiastes. Dead flies cause the ointment. An ointment is a perfume. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly in him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. And read that again. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. And really, what Solomon, King Solomon was saying here is, someone who is reputed to have wisdom and honor, someone who should behave a certain way, even a little folly is like a fly in the perfume which causes it to stink. Okay? So here we are, we're the body of Christ, and... I know that you've all experienced this at one point or another where people in the world have told us what we're supposed to be like. Right? Well, Christians aren't supposed to do this. Guess what? They're not always wrong. When they say, hey, wait a minute, you're a Christian. Uh, Should you be smoking? Hey, wait a minute, you're a Christian. I thought Christians were supposed to be married to the girl they're sleeping with. They're not always wrong. Sometimes they see something that's at work in somebody, and they're right in putting it to question. And really what it's talking about is, as Christians, we're supposed to have a reputation of wisdom and honor and righteousness, but there are things that happen to be a part of our lives that are like a fly in the ointment and becomes a stink. Here we are, God causes us to triumph in Christ, that everywhere we go, God causes the fragrance of the savor, the, the odor of the knowledge of Christ to come forth through us, Everywhere we go. And it provokes in people one of two things. One, to desire and to to seek after Christ or to shun away from us. But what happens when that savor gets tainted by flies? It becomes, it loses its, its, its effectiveness. Right? So imagine a politician who spent, you know, 40 years 
serving the nation. And uh, they have a, you know, a lifetime of service. They spent their life serving the nation. They did great things for the nation. They did great things for their community. And everybody celebrates them. People on both sides of the, of the aisle, they think this person's really great. But at the very end, they find out that this person was physically abusing someone. Uh, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby was a hero to us as kids. We thought he was the greatest. Then we come to find out that he was a vile, immoral person. It changes everything. All the good that he may have done, it's all for naught. It doesn't matter. It, that fly was a stinking fly, but it tainted everything. It changed everything. So we, as Christians, we're to have a reputation of, for wisdom and honor, but folly in our lives, stupid decisions, stupid behaviors, stupid choices... It's like sprinkling dead flies in our ointment and our perfume. There was, several years ago, maybe about 10 or 15 years ago, there were, uh, I won't name them, but very well-known televangelists who, it was discovered that they were basically helping themselves to some of the money that was coming forth into the ministry. Okay? And... One of the things that was reported wasn't just, oh, they took lavish trips or they spent money on very expensive articles of clothing, like a $100,000 watch or something like that. But this was the thing that seemed to be too much for people to handle. And that was that the wife, she had a mobile home, $100,000 mobile home for her dogs. It wasn't for people. It was an air-conditioned mobile home just for the dogs. And this was too much for people. So all of a sudden, that became a fly in the ointment. It didn't matter if they had accomplished or done great things for the name of Jesus. All these flies, all these excesses of spending became odious to people. It corrupted the ointment. Amen. Uh, I remember once when I was, I was a student at, at Bible college, but during the summer... In between semesters, I worked at a place called Rick's Gas Tank Factory where they did not manufacture gas tanks, but they manufactured radiators, automotive radiators. It's a long story. I worked in the warehouse. And uh, in the warehouse, you know, doing shipping and receiving. And I was very, very, very busy. There was always more work than there was time in the day. And I was being run ragged. And one of the unfortunate problems that we had there was inventory was never accurate. So people, the salespeople, they're on the second floor and they look on the computer and it says that there are 15 radiators, 785. And then, of course, they would sell it and they would tell us, okay, we want you to put radiator 785, it's going to be shipped out to this person, but it's not on the shelf. So what happened is they decided uh, that they would have one person who would go and check inventory every time the salespeople needed us to check inventory. And they decided they would select one person to do that. And they decided it would be me. <laughs> so basically what ended up happening is all day long, throughout the day, I would hear over the PA system, somebody say, Hey, Alain, can you check inventory on radiator 785, radiator 881, radiator whatever? And I'd have to drop everything, run over down the aisle to find where they were, count them, and run back, call the person and say, okay, we have 15 of them, we have 20 of them, we have three of them, we have none of them, whatever the, the answer might be. Well, there was one guy who was about my age, he was working on, on the sales side of things, and he called me like every five minutes. He'd page me every five minutes, and I was losing it. I was getting so angry, I started ignoring him. I never called him back. So he would come down and he'd yell at me and I'd be like, man, you're calling me too much. I don't have time for this. And it became a conflict between us. Now here's the thing. I'm a Bible college student. They know I'm going to college to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus and I'm behaving badly. And, and the thing is, they knew who, where, the, the, the walk that I was walking. It became a fly in my ointment. They, they called me Father Al. That was what their nickname for me. This one time I walked into the warehouse and ten, of, ten guys are kneeling like this and they're like, give us a blessing, Father. Well, boy, I'll tell you, they scattered when I walked over and laid my hand on the first guy. Boom! They were out of there. <laughs> okay, you want a blessing? You'll get one. Hallelujah. So this guy, he and I, there's a conflict and, you know, of course, at the end of my work day, I go home, I'm sitting in my, my bedroom and I'm spending some quiet time with the Lord 
and something's bothering me on the inside, and I know what it is, is this conflict with this guy. And the Lord said to me, you're not, you're not demonstrating a very Christ-like behavior towards this guy. And tomorrow you're going to go make it right with him. But God, no, you're going to go make it right with him. So sure enough, the next day I had to go up to the, you know, find him in his, his cubicle up on the second floor. Can I talk to you? Yeah, and listen, I, I just want to say I'm sorry. Please forgive me for my attitude towards you. It wasn't right. And, and, I, and I recognized and I acknowledged that I was wrong. And anyways, I made things right with him. Because what the Lord was saying is, this is a fly in your ointment. This is tarnishing the fragrance of Christ that's emanating from you. Amen? Hallelujah. So, thank you, Jesus. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. God is making manifest the savor of the knowledge of Christ by us in every place. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul is talking about the fact that Moses, when he came down from the mountain, the glory of God was shining th- from his face. Okay? And it was glory on him. It revealed God to the Israelites. In the same way, the fragrance on us, that's the glory of God. That's the life that's in us coming forth. It's provoking and producing the fragrance of Christ. Everywhere we go, we carry forth this glory of God with us and it affects the people around us, okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, you can read it with me. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So really what, what Paul is talking about is he's ca- God has caused the light to shine out of darkness. And what that is talking about is at one time we were darkness. And then we received the Lord Jesus Christ and we went from darkness to light. And that light began to emanate from us, right? Light out of darkness. But he continues and he says, He's shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So think of this just for a moment. In in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, there was a prophetic word given that there would one day be a prophet like unto Moses who would declare the word of God like Moses declared the word of God. Now Moses, who is declaring the word of God, he comes off the mountain and his face shines with the glory of God so much so that, that they're in fear and he puts a veil over his face, right? But what do we see here is we see in verse 6 that there's the glory of Jesus emanating from the face of Jesus. In the same way that it emanated from Moses. Jesus is that prophet that was prophesied. There was one who would come. Jesus came. And that glory, that same glory that was on Moses, it's now on Jesus, it's emanating. But in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But now we behold Jesus without a veil. Moses had to put a veil on his face. Jesus has no veil on his face. That glory is emanating from him. And we have to go into the place of intimacy with him, to stand face to face before him with the glory that's coming from him unveiled. Are you following me? So the beginning of the transformation, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we go from glory to glory. That first step into glory was receiving Jesus. We went from darkness to light. But we're not supposed to stay there. We have to keep pressing in so that we can go from glory to glory to glory. And the way we do that is by spending that intimate time with Jesus face to face with no veil on his face. His glory, the glory on his face, provoking a change, a transformation in us. Hallelujah. Just like the prophet Moses, but no veil. Hallelujah. And what happens is what we need and why we need to be spending time in the intimacy with Jesus is that place in him, that, that face-to-face with the glory of Jesus, creates a transfer or provokes a transformation in us. It removes the flies. So that the fragrance, the glory that emanates from us wherever we go, is untainted, is uncorrupted. And it produces a fragrance in people so that they have a desire to say, hey, what, what's going on with you? Who are you? Why are you like this? You're so different from other people. You don't behave the way other people do. When something bad happens, you don't freak out. You, you, how is it that you're in peace right now? All these people have said all these awful things about you and you haven't retaliated. What, 
Who are you? Why are you like this? There's something different about you. When somebody does something evil and wicked to you because they hate you because of the fragrance and instead you just show them the love of Christ, oh my goodness, they don't know what to do with that. So Paul is saying, listen, everywhere you go, God causes us to triumph. We're walking in this glory of the righteousness of God and this fragrance is coming forth and this is what is impacting the world around us. So I just want to close with this here. So in 2 Corinthians 3.18, let's read it. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by, as by the Spirit of the Lord. We all with open face as beholding in a glass. And we understand that that's talking about beholding as in a mirror. I want you to think about this for a moment. When you got up this morning and you were getting ready for church and you, know, you got out of the shower, you threw on some clothes and then you went and stood in front of the mirror to put your face on, to brush your hair, whatever. You're standing in front of the mirror and you see a reflection, right? It's your reflection. So for me, I'm standing there and my hair is all over the place because I towel dry before I do anything else. But now I want to style my hair and I want my hair with a part here on the left. Now let me ask you, did I stand in front of the mirror, looking at the mirror, and then the image in the mirror, the hair went into place and then went into place on my head? No, right? When I stood in front of the mirror and I decided to pick up my brush and put it to my head, was it because the image in the mirror lifted its hand and my hand responded? Everything that was happening in the mirror was reflecting me, what I did, right? We're all like, we're not dummies. I'm getting to a point. The reflection did whatever I did. I brushed my hair a certain way. If I decided I want the part on the other side, the reflection would be responding to me parting my hair on the other side. It would do what I did, right? It makes sense. We understand that. The reflection does not provoke the change. The reflection is merely becoming the change. Does that make sense? You following me? Okay. Who's doing the work, me or the reflection? Me. So if I'm standing in front of a mirror, 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding as in a mirror, and I see Jesus, who's doing the work? Am I changing and Jesus is becoming like me? No. So I'm the reflection, which means I can't be doing the work. I can't be, because I'm the reflection. Jesus is doing something which is provoking a change in me. And why am I making this point? The point is simply this. For so many of us as Christians, what we've thought Christianity to be is, I'm going to discipline my flesh to not be bad. I'm not going to do these awful things anymore. I'm going to discipline my flesh. And I'm going to teach my mind to know things about God. When, what God is saying in, through Paul here in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is what he wants from us is not that we would discipline ourselves, that we would do work, but rather that we would come into the presence of Jesus and allow transformation to happen, that we would become him. It's not by our works. We don't become him by our works. I don't become Jesus because I decide I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to chase women anymore. I'm not going to do all these things anymore. And therefore, I'm like Jesus. No, I'm like Jesus because I spent time in his presence, which provoked the transformation in me, and I became him, as opposed to me trying as a reflection to make me into him. Right? So if I'm standing in front of a mirror brushing my hair, the reflection in the mirror it doesn't have to do any work. It just mirrors me. I'm just supposed to mirror, mirror Jesus. Hallelujah. So when we spend time, you know, the work, if you want to call it that, if there is work, there is work. The work is to spend our time in the presence of Jesus. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in tongues. We spend time in worship. We fast. We meditate. We assimilate. We spend time just sitting quietly in His presence and allow His, who He is, to become us. Amen? And that's what the world needs. They need us to become the fragrance, the unalter, unadulterated, uncorrupted corrupted fragrance of Jesus so that 
we can impact them to the extent that they say, I want what you've got. There's something different about you. I'm drawn to you. Amen? Hallelujah. The people does not, the people, the world does not need people who look like Jesus because they try to make themselves look like Jesus. You know, I don't have to try to be French. I didn't have to try to love cheese. It happened naturally. I love cheese because I'm French. I don't try at it. If you cut me, melted cheese comes out because I'm French. That's the way it's supposed to be in terms of who we are in Christ. He causes us to triumph in Him, hallelujah, and makes manifest the savor of His knowledge through us in every place. And we do that, the only way we can do that is to be transformed to be like Him. And the only way we can be transformed is to allow who we are to reflect Him. It's not our works, it's Him doing the work in us when we spend time in Him. Amen? Hallelujah. So right now, we're going to take the next 15 minutes, and what I would like you to do, I'd like you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1, and just read as far as you can go. In the next 15 minutes, maybe you'll get a chapter or two or three, however fast you read. Don't rush it. But guess what? Spending time with Jesus in the Gospels is spending time in intimacy with Him and allowing Him to reveal Himself to us in a powerful way. Amen? So John 1, and just keep going, we'll... I'll be back in about 15. Hallelujah. Just like that, 15 minutes of reading goes by. Hallelujah. It goes by quickly, it does. Amen. But see, just by spending time and, and spending time purposefully reading God's Word is entering into that place of intimacy with Jesus where we're being changed from glory to glory. We're being transformed. And He's doing the work. Amen? And it causes us to triumph everywhere we go. And the fragrance of Christ emanates from us. That people might have the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. Amen? Let's, if you can stand with me if you wish, we're going to close in prayer.